Little Jacob sits on the side of his bed, leaning on his staff. The air is electric with anticipation. His grown sons and their families huddle around the room. Their future is about to be laid before them. And none of them can imagine what is going to be revealed as they stand and they gather themselves to their father's bedside. Twice, he says in these opening verses, gather yourselves, come near. We have gathered ourselves as God's people. If you were summoned to a paneled lawyer's office in downtown Birmingham on the 13th or 14th floor of one of those marble buildings to hear your, the last will and testament of someone read out with you being involved in it, You can imagine how these young men and old men felt. But I want you to know, church, that every time the word of God is open, it is the charter deed to our profession of faith. All that pertains to life and godliness in our future is recorded here in these words. And so as the sons of the Lord, his family, we gather today in the charter deed to our profession of faith is opened. And I say as... Elderly Jacob, gather ye, gather ye, come near and hear what the Lord has to say. These verses in Genesis chapter 49 are some of the most unusual and intriguing verses recorded in the whole book. Dying Jacob, or Israel as he is now being referred to, gathers his sons around his bed, and it is clear that the words that he is speaking, the tone of his voice and the authority that you hear, that he has now entered into the office of a prophet. Through him, God reveals how he will deal with Israel's future. As John Phillips notes, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi give the history of the nation down to the first advent of the Messiah, Judah gives a sketch of the Messiah's appearing and rejection. Zebulun and Issachar set forth the dispersal of Israel and the long subjection of the race to the Gentiles. Dan foreshadows the appearing and kingdom of the Antichrist. Gad, Asher, and Naphtali depict the moral character of the elect in the last days, victorious, royally nourished, and witnessing Joseph and Benjamin foreshadow the second coming of the triumphs of Israel's Messiah. It's interesting that the traits of Jacob's sons at the present time give a picture of the destinies of each of their tribes. Jacob's words reveal human character and conduct as well as the plans and purposes of God. No matter where we read in God's word, the law of the spiritual world is clearly seen. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. These words of Jacob were the very words of God. He is not just a dying father of a large family speaking his mind and revealing his opinions of things long past, sins of his sons, 
family tragedies and sins and horrible things and their future and their portion. It's much, much more than that. He is being used by the creator God of the universe in a day before his word was written. And this scene has all the somberness of a a courtroom scene. The courtroom of heaven. And there we get a glimpse of the eternal. And these men know that it is truly the voice of God speaking to their father and through their father. While some refer to this as Jacob's blessing his sons, the word blessed is used only in his prophecy concerning Judah. However, in verse 28, three times, the record tells us that his words were going to be a blessing. All during the the difficult days that the children of Israel will be in bondage in Egypt, they, they must have recalled and pondered over and rehearsed in their minds the words that, Shiloh is coming. Messiah is coming. And held on to that promise. And during these dark days, and as the evil times wax worse and worse, we hold on to the church that I will come again and receive you unto myself. God has a plan. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that, that Washington's plan or Montgomery's plan or the plans of Europe and the economies of the world are, are not based or don't hinder God's plan. And he will always bring that plan to pass in spite of heartless rulers and their own disobedience and the schemes of men. This God is our God. The God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac is our God. And he is today bringing all of his sovereign will to pass. Let God be true. And every man a liar. For one thing, each tribe is promised a place in the promised land. And that's that's their inheritance. And I'm glad, I'm sure they were glad to hear that they were going to have a place one day. That was something to look forward to. When the land would be given to them and their enemies defeated. And the land would be divided up. He gives the, the directions of their inheritance. The glorious picture of our Savior is is painted here, revealing the promise given in Genesis 3 once again. In verse 10, he's called Shiloh or Shalom. And he is forecast as the Prince of Peace. In verse 18, he is Yeshua, Hebrew for Jesus or Joshua or salvation. Jehovah saves his people. In verse 24, he is the Mighty One, the Shepherd and the Stone. In verse 25, the Almighty in all these pictures, titles, and descriptions point to our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As one would expect, Jacob gives his prophecy in birth order, starting with the six sons of Leah and ending with Rachel's two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. This morning we'll only deal with the first few. There's so much here for us, it would be impossible to digest it all in just one meeting. But the expression, the last days, is used here for the first time in the Bible. And remember, always remember the law of first mention. And here's the first time that phrase, the last days, is mentioned. Old Testament writers use the phrase some 18 times throughout the old record. 
The ancient rabbis always interpreted the expression as referring to Messiah. In some ways, we could refer to this portion of Scripture as the judgment seat of Jacob. And I have heard messages with that in vain, that light, that view of what he is doing here because he does review their lives from God's perspective. You have a view of your life as you reflect back over it. The successes, the failures, and all the the choices and all that has brought you to this time. Others have a view of your life and uh, what you have done and are not done. But the most important view is God's view. And that's why it's so important to open the Word of God and see what God thinks about everything because here we have the mind of God revealed. What saith the Lord? There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but we want to know what God has to say. And here these sons of Jacob are hearing not their father's estimation of them, they realize he is the voice of God and what he is saying is the eternal truth and will come to pass. In some ways, we could refer to this portion of Scripture as the judgment seat of Jacob because he reviews their lives and rebukes and rewards accordingly. Hidden things are revealed and will be revealed in that day. Praised are judged and shown as to whether they're gold or silver or wood, hay, and stubble. While there is a place in the kingdom for each son in the family, no one is overlooked here. These are all the sons of Jacob, and there they'll be. But their works will determine that place in the future inheritance. I want you to keep that in mind because as we study Scripture, there's always an immediate audience. And of course, that's the sons of Jacob at his deathbed. But in a larger way, we as God's people have come and gathered today before the Lord. And When his book is opened, all things are laid bare. Isn't it amazing how that... Can you ever read the Scripture without your soul being laid bare before the Lord? No other book can do surgery on the soul and make bare the thoughts and the intents of the heart and the joint and the marrow of the soul. This book does that, doesn't it? That's what's going on as we meet this morning. Jacob's speech is not his normal manner of speaking. It is poetic and symbolic. And so we can say this is not some script that Jacob has written out. This is not something he says, one of these days when I'm about to die, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind and tell them exactly what I think. No. Jacob knows and they know that he is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking as a a prophet of God. It is like reading a, a Paradise Lost or some epic poem, the poetic usage that that Jacob uses here, but the figures of speech, though graphic and and clear, are, are much more than poetry. Please, please don't ever treat any portion of God's Word as just literature, though literature it is. This may be poetic in form, but we're on holy ground here. Serious business is being transacted today. Expectation embarrassment, truth and consequences flood the bedroom of the dying patriarch. I can sense 
the feeling of that room, can't you? Come near, boys. Gather near my bed. Reuben had been Jacob's pride and glory. As the firstborn, he would have expected to live up to the pride and the elation that Jacob had when it was pronounced that a son was born. His hopes that that Reuben would be all that, that God would have him to be because Jacob knows that his family, in a sense, is the royal family. Handed down through Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, that through his sons, Messiah would come. Can you imagine that thought? But I'm sure as Jacob is dying and looking into the faces of his sons, he, he knows that it has to be the superintendence of God, the supernatural grace of God to intervene and make any of these sons and their descendants worthy to have the Savior to be born of them. Make a, maybe when Jacob begins in the tone of his voice, Reuben, can you imagine as he turns to him, thou art my firstborn, my might. I believe that, that Reuben straightens his back and stands tall. Maybe daddy's forgotten. He's never really said anything about any of this, and so maybe, just maybe, I'm going to be restored to my place as firstborn, the birthright, and all the attached privileges to it. Maybe daddy had changed his mind. Maybe he would honor him with the privilege of the firstborn after all. Maybe... Through his tribe, Messiah would come. And in fact, I think each of these men, knowing as they'd been taught of their father, that, that possibly one of them could be the tribe that Messiah would come. Don't you know they're all wondering, will it be my family? Will it be through my lineage that Messiah will come? But Reuben had been all his life weak and unstable. The words and adjectives change quickly and Reuben's head drops as the truth of his life is being revealed before him. Open. Others are listening. This is not a private conversation between Jacob and Reuben. And all the buried past and the shame of undealt with sin is now coming forth. He had never lived up to his birthright privileges. And sadly, as I was studying the Scripture, I thought of so many of God's children who never, ever live up to their birthright. We've heard it sung about being children of the King and called into His presence and His, His glorious mercy and grace lavished upon us. And there are many in this room who would give testimony to the fact that Christ has saved me. And worthy as I am, He's made me His, His own. And yet... There are those listening to me today, you've never lived up to the privileges of this book. You've never prevailed in prayer. You've never seen consistent victory over sin. You've never been a vital witness for the Lord. You've never laid your hand to the plow of God's service. And, and though you're saved, and like Reuben has the place of high regard and honor should be, there are those unstable as water. Unstable. How could it be said of any child of God that they're unstable when we're on the rock of ages? 
the foundation of the universe. That's where our soul rests. On the ancient of days. Unfaithful? At last the truth is shown. His birthright had been taken away. Jacob had not forgotten. And it was given to another. He would never or sell or leave anything of note to the nation of Israel. That ought to challenge each of us, no matter where you are in life, young or old. What will I leave behind? What legacy will I leave? How far will the shadow of the influence of my life reach? What soul have I encouraged? Who have I ever pointed to the Lord? Do my co-workers know of my deep love for the Savior? Do family members and those that I associate with and neighbors know of my deep and abiding love for the Lord? What will we leave? And so we move from Reuben's place and we stand there ourselves, don't we? In anticipation of that great day when all things are revealed and it is shown for what it really is. You see, hope is not going to change things. Reuben's tribe never produced a leader of any kind, not a judge, never a leader in Israel will be from Reuben's tribe. In fact, the Reubenites were the first. When the promised land was being divided up before the, the nation ever crossed over Jordan, they said, give us our portion now, here and now on this side. They could not wait unstable as water. Give me mine. Give it to me now. Oh, there may be something better. Always sacrificing on the altar of the immediate, the blessings of the eternal. Oh, what words of warning these are this morning. Child of God, consider there's coming a day when we will stand before Him and it will be revealed. In Joshua chapter 22, they helped to build an unprescribed and unauthorized place of worship. Unstable is water. During the days of Deborah and Barak, in the latter wars with the Canaanites, the tribe of Reuben did not respond to the call of arms, didn't send a man, didn't rise to the occasion to help there in Judges chapter 5. Reuben, thou art as unstable is water. Reuben never excelled. Neither the literal Reuben or his descendants. And I want to remind us here today, there are descendants that are coming after us. There's a generation looking to us. We are handing down, in whatever form it may be, the faith that was handed down to us, down to another generation. They are watching... Not us holding our songbooks and singing loud in church and saying amen. They're watching what we do day by day as we go through the daily round of life. Unstable is water. Could there be any more unflattering things said about a person, a child of God? What a pitiful description of the child of promise. Water always follows the path of least resistance. Brethren, we're in a war, aren't we? Satan is welding his sharpest arrows at each of us. Snares are laid for every footstep we take. 
We are not ignorant of his devices. He has ever welded these devices against the children of God. We know exactly what they are. And we all know our own weakness, don't we? And the sin that does so easily beset us. Some believers never excel. And it's not because they can't. It's not because they don't have the grace of God. The resources that God has given all of His children are ours. Never conquer sin. Always willing to settle for the easy way. Never exercising themselves into godliness. Never branching out in faith into the deep waters of God's will and His work. Always settling for the nearest, most comfortable place to live out their little lives. And the end is coming, as it will come to all of us. And You'll stand as Reuben stood at his father's bedside. You will stand before the presence of the king one day. He will lay it all before you. Not choosing to live with eternity's values in view. Eternity yawns out there ahead of us. The hourglass of our lives, the sands of time are sinking. What of it? Someone has said that water always seeks its own level no matter how low that may be. And when spilled, water can never be gathered again. Reuben lacked character. And there's no reason for a child of God to lack character. We've been given the very righteousness of Christ, haven't we? We're to follow in His steps. He must increase, but I must decrease. All the resources of the Savior of mine, Reuben lacked character. Never could get it right. Reuben lacked courage. Reuben lacked conviction. Oh, why should we lack courage? When Jesus said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. What would we realize tomorrow that every step of the way, Jesus Christ was standing right there with us, literally in His flesh. But He's there. The Holy Spirit of God goes with us through any duty that we're called upon. Why should we lack courage? We have His righteousness, we, we have His character, shouldn't we live it out and let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven? And in conviction, we've been given his, his book, these things to hold to and to believe and live out. In doing so, He lacked everything. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, but you're unstable as water, you will not excel. But that wasn't all. He just didn't stop with an uncomplimentary assessment of Reuben's character in future. As uncomfortable as all that must have been, as embarrassing as it must have been, being the firstborn and having that snatched away and not restored as he hoped it would be in this hour. That's embarrassing, isn't it? Had no one to blame but himself. But there's more. Not only was his character laid bare before his, his brothers, Jacob at long last brings up an incident from the past that Reuben had never dealt with. A sordid affair that, that we cringe at even thinking about of an incestuous adultery. And he mentions it here. 
Reuben, no doubt, had, had long figured that Jacob never really knew all about it because of his silence or, or had forgotten about his son's perverted actions, but Jacob hadn't forgotten. Forty years had passed. Out of sight, out of mind, don't fool yourself. There's only one thing to do with sin, and that's to kill it. There's only one thing to do with sin is to repent of it. Forty years affords plenty of time for confession. Don't you know he rubs shoulders with his daddy every day? That wall between them never was broken down. It was always there. Reuben could kid himself that Jacob didn't care or didn't know or had forgotten. But it was there. Nothing but silence filled that 40-year gap. But there's a reckoning day coming and Jacob speaks with all the authority of the triune Godhead. Here his unconfessed, undealt with sin is laid bare at last, was exposed and judged. God's will for the believer is to judge his own sin. And he gives us ample opportunity to do that, doesn't he? We have heard enough scripture read here today and songs sung to the goodness of God reminded to us in our singing and our praying in the Word of God. Oh, how... How precious that word is. How exact it is. It is a, a, a microscopic, unseen scalpel that does laser surgery on the soul. And God's will for us as believers is to judge our own sin. How gracious is He? Here's His word that, that Reuben didn't have. You have every word of the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Every time we meet, every time you take the the precious Word of God in secret and read it, the Holy Spirit reveals to us those things. And immediately when sin is revealed, oh, child of God, run to the merciful Father and confess our sins, for He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Provision is there. Oh, how precious Not only are we justified, not only is there therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, but there's provision for cleansing and that burden to be lifted. There should be no child of God under the sound of my voice with a barrier between you and the Heavenly Father. You remember I read this morning from the psalm, if I regard iniquity, if I keep it, if I pet it, if if I pretend like it's not there, the Lord will not hear me. Then the psalmist goes on to say, but he has heard me. And we can, we can know that he had repented and asked for that cleansing that comes from the Lord. Paul told the Corinthian believers, we're coming before the Lord's table this evening, and I pray that each of you will be here and participate in the Lord's table. And I would encourage you and urge you as your pastor to always... Use this time, is, is what I'm talking about here, to examine yourselves. Paul said, examine yourself. But let a man examine himself, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. How gracious is the Lord. 
How does the Lord judge us? He first gives us His Word. His Word comes to us. It's recalled by the Spirit or is preached or we read it. And that Word comes and tells us what to do. And when the Word comes, we should always bow before it. When we are judged, though, if we do not judge ourselves, when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. God deals with His children. Jacob is dealing with his sons, isn't he? Well, this is a father in this room. He knows his moments are fleeting, that what is spoken here must be said. It's eternal. It is the Word of God. He realizes this prophetic moment, but I want to tell each of us as we gather today, this is a prophetic moment as well. Your life lies before you. Where do you stand? Are you in Christ as we sang about today? Is all well with your soul or are you unstable as water? That should not be said of any child of God, should it? Unstable, weak, vacillating. The truth is always the truth. It stands resolutely and patiently until at last it is revealed and vindicated. How gracious of our Lord to give us His lavish grace and provision. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. The Old Testament equivalent is found in the Gospel of Isaiah. Chapter 1 and verse 16. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil from your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment. Come now, let us reason together, for though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat of the good of the land. And that pictures the fellowship. So many today, I'm fear, are not enjoying the rich fellowship with the Lord and the communion of the saints. And it is sin that robs it. Deal with it, child of God. Don't be as Reuben putting it aside, regarding it, forgetting it, hoping that it will be forgotten. Come and judge your sin today. By the Word of God, come for cleansing so that you'll not have to hang your head in that day. But not here, thou art as unstable as water. The next two oldest are Simeon and Levi. Always together. They are seen together. They seem to be the closest of the brothers. Reuben's weakness and lust having been exposed. Simeon and Levi's anger and cruelty are brought to light. Don't you know by now the boys are saying this is going from bad to worse. No stone is being unturned. There's a million places they'd rather be than where they are right now. But do you know not one of them escapes? Not one of them leaves. Not one of them excuses themselves and takes a phone call and goes to the business at hand. 
they are a captive audience. Under the excuse of justifying their sister's rape, they mercilessly, you remember, you recall as we studied that sordid portion of Scripture where they slew the men of Shechem in a very cruel way, unprescribed, uncalled for in the eyes of the Lord. Their temper not, was not only was displayed, but their cruelty was displayed. Their actions brought the whole family of Jacob under the, the possibility of danger and the opinion of God's people went down the drain. How can we be a witness to the heathen who act like heathens when we don't act much different? Jacob said in verse 5, implements of cruelty are in their habitation. Interestingly, the Hebrew word for habitation is used only here in the Old Testament. Henry Morris writes, with deep emotion, Israel disassociated himself from their motives and their actions. They may have tried to justify their slaughter of the Shechemites on the basis of righteous retribution, but Israel cursed their cruel anger and fierce wrath. And Jacob declares, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Simeon was given an inheritance within the inheritance of Judah, Joshua chapter 19. But some of the sons of of Simeon were captured and lived in some of the lands of the Edomites and the Amalekites, outside of Canaan. We see there in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Eventually, they were all either mostly assimilated into Judah or scattered outside of Israel altogether. And little is said about them after the days of King Asa. The tribe of Levi was given as their inheritance no land of themselves, but 48 cities scattered throughout all of the land of promise, all of Israel. These 48 cities, not having a portion of Canaan as their own, that's where the Levites would live. In Exodus chapter 32, the tribe of Levi takes a stand for the Lord at at Baal Peor. An amazing display of courage and conviction when when Israel sinned with the daughters of Moab. The tribe of Israel stood firm. The tribe of, of Levi stood firm. When Moses raised his standard and cried, Who is on the Lord's side? It was Levi's tribe that first responded because of their bold stand. And the priesthood and the religious service of the nation was given to the tribe of Levi. Failure is not final. And that's the message of encouragement that we see as we have the privilege of looking at it from this side. We have the luxury of all the Bible. The ways of God are laid before us. And, and we can tell you today that though you may have failed as Reuben or acted without thought as Levi and Simeon, Today is the day. We are alive. There is a God of mercy. Failure is not final. Their very scattering was a blessing because the Levites were found in all the coast of the kingdom. One thing we see here at at the bed of Jacob in our closing this morning is that sin, even among the privileged children of God, especially among the privileged children of God. This is 
the royal family here, right? The twelve tribes of Israel. Descendants of grandfather Abraham. Chosen singularly by the Lord. And we're scratching our heads today wondering why. But haven't you scratched your head and wondered why in Christ alone you're found this morning? Who among us could say, I deserve to be called to the banqueting table? Grace does not sweep things under the carpet, does it? While grace is greater than our sin, sin must be dealt with and provision is given. Messiah is coming. The promises of God will come to pass. May his name be praised. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we tremble in awe at your holy and infallible word. Lord, we must proclaim it in all of its fullness and truth. And I, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would take the sword of the Spirit this morning. Because the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing and dividing asunder the joints and the marrow. Even the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Your word is alive. And we know not because of this messenger. We know because your word tells it that it will always accomplish the work that you've appointed it to do. Lord, we... We're reminded that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Thank you for this space of grace. This moment, this time. We cannot recall the failures and the good intentions and the sins of yesterday. But we can all come today reminded of your word and your grace. Come, we ask the Holy Spirit of God would do His work in our midst, in every heart, in every person's life. To those outside of Christ, oh Lord, would you raise them to faith. May they see Christ as the only Savior. You said, as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. Oh, may they come in horror of their sin, sick of their sin, burdened of their sin, and Rush to the Savior. Throw yourself upon Him. Rest in Him. Repent and, and believe on Him. He is, he is near. He is at hand. As we've already heard, today is the day of salvation. To as many as that have heard the word, Oh Lord, would you do your work of grace. And to your child who has been regenerated, Oh Lord, but may... They have some unsettled business. They've not listened to the soft prompting of the Spirit. They've not obeyed the Word convicting and cutting and gently laying open. But Lord, Your Word today has been very sharp and very plain. And we rejoice that there's grace, amazing grace, Grace sufficient for every need in this house. Lord, give us conviction and courage and all those things we need. May we go forth in grace and, and do great exploits for Thee.